So as I was walking in this morning, I saw Pastor John's face and had this sudden realization that I was supposed to read the scripture this morning. And as a person who is not super comfortable up front, I usually prepare for this. I usually have a printed out piece of paper in large font that I can see easily, so bear with me. We're going to read Philippians 1 through 4, 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the NIV this morning. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that we have open and free access to so that we can draw closer to you and be uh, just more like you every day as we seek out the, the noble things and the good things. And I just ask that you would help protect us in a world that is full of things that are not good and not praiseworthy, that as we're going through the torrents of life where there are just constant bombarding messages of things that are the opposite of your word, that you would help us to be strong in faith but be loving as well, and to approach those things that kind of go against what we believe, just with a, a tr true grace that comes from you and love that comes from you so that we can show love to others and in that way draw them to you. And as we begin to prepare to hear from, from you through the preaching of the gospel, through your word, I ask that you would prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to be both open and accepting to the truth of you, that we may, again, just learn, grow in relationship, and go out to the world and be your light in that darkness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, Lord willing, <clears throat> I'd like for us to think about temperament. Your temperament, my temperament. In particular, I'd like for us to be thinking together about the subject of thinking the way God wants us to think. That's a big subject. In the ancient world, it was thought that four humors or four liquids, sometimes they were referred to, of the body, dictated the way people think. In other words, one of those humors or liquids was blood. And if that dominated, the way a person thought, that person was said to be sanguine in temperament. That is, generally prone to being passive, or rather uh, uh, optimistic and joyful and having a sense of well-being. So they say, well, that's one form of temperament, being sanguine. If phlegm, that's another liquid, <clears throat> some of us had more than others, but... <laughs> If phlegm dominates, the person was called 
phlegmatic and in temperament and was considered to be passive and lethargic and sensitive and sentimental. If it was yellow bile, then someone was said to be choleric and he was or she was bold and passionate and easily angered and irritable and highly ambitious. I've known a few choleric people in my life. And then, of course, if it was black bile, uh, a person was said to be melancholic, which supposedly made one passive and cautious and withdrawn. Now, even today, these four Temperaments are oftentimes referred to and sometimes written about books. Whole books have been written about these four temperaments. And uh, they are categories that are used to categorize people's temperament. You might say, well, I know this person uh, in my life is sanguine or choleric or phlegmatic or what have you. A number of years ago, <clears throat> When I ministered with Prison Mission Association in Southern California, we worked with a lot of people who were struggling with alcoholism. That was a big problem, and still is. But it was a great problem there, especially amongst prisoners. As a matter of fact, I, I think the percentage was well over 70 or 80% of all prisoners were, uh, had a, a, an alcohol addiction. Anyway, we, uh, we had a course that was based upon the book God is for the Alcoholic. And in connection with that ministry, I became acquainted with a particular expression or statement that sometimes was oftentimes given in the context of dealing with those who are struggling with alcoholism. And it went something like this. I, I believe it, I'm not sure, but I believe it was primarily introduced through Alcoholics Anonymous. But the statement goes something like this. It ain't your drinking that's stinking, it's your thinking. <laughs> now, of course, what you were talking about was the very fact that uh, the problem is rooted in the way a person thinks. And then it comes out in the way a person acts. So this morning I want us to think about temperament and I want to think about it from, not from these four traditional points of view, phlegmatic or sanguine or whatever. I want you to have us think about four words, <clears throat> four specific words that uh, can speak or have to do with four different temperaments that oftentimes people have. Sometimes we could th call these four different uh, potential governing attitudes that people have in their lives. Sometimes people are, uh, go through a progression of these four different attitudes. Uh, but usually the, one of these four attitudes dominates in a person's life. So let's take a quick look at four words. Uh, the first three that I would like for us to consider <clears throat> lead to temperaments that are very destructive and hurtful. And I want, us, I want us to think in terms of not just general, the general population, if we could use that term, but I want us to think in terms of the fact that these temperaments oftentimes are characteristic of believers in Christ, unfortunately. 
uh, there's only one of these four that really brings us to the subject this morning, and that is thinking the way God wants us to think. So uh, if you have a pencil or a pen, or you want to scratch it on the back of the pulpit in front of you, <laughs> I'd like for you to have these four words at least, and you can go home and think about them and uh, apply them to your own circumstances. The first of these words, these aren't difficult words, these are not technical words, but the first of the words is uh, groping. Groping. Now, I'm not using this necessarily uh, in the physical sense, but in a, uh, in a metaphorical way, in the sense of feeling about blindly, searching for uh, something, as in to grope for the light switch, or to grope for the right words. I, I find that especially applicable in preaching, groping for the right words. But groping, that's a mentality, that's a way of thinking that many people uh, have as a dominant characteristic of their life. This is the mentality that many people have when facing the present circumstances of life. They maintain an attitude of groping, a way of thinking that if I grab onto something, if I can just reach out and get more, if I could just grab hold of something that would make sense or make meaning or would give me what I want, then life would be full. I noticed uh, as I was, uh, uh, one of my favorite occupations when I'm watching television is to, to uh, go through all the channels and see what's on. Generally speaking, it's very difficult to find anything that you want to watch, so I just go through the channels, up and down. And, <laughs> and as I was going through the channels, I noticed that they were showing the film, The Bucket List. I don't know if you've seen that film or not, but two old fellows, played by Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson, I believe, they find out they have terminal cancer, and, they, and one of them starts writing something. He says, what are you writing? He says, well, it's my bucket list. He says, what's a bucket list? And it turns out to be those things that you want to experience or have or, or uh, 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 entertain before you kick the bucket, hence the bucket list. It's quite an interesting film, but I got to thinking about that in regard to this idea of groping in a metaphorical sense. It's a sense of wanting to have something more, something different. In essence, this is the heart of the groping mentality, looking for more different things, activities to make life meaningful, some of you have been around for a while, knew, uh, remember that uh, a few years ago, a number of years ago, I thought if only I could have, what was I called, a salad shooter. <laughs> remember when those were, uh, you know, and lo and behold, someone got me a salad shooter for, uh, for a joke, I think. 
But it's this mentality, if only I had a bigger camper trailer or uh, my cabin was on a better lake or, uh, you know, Bimini or whatever it is, the bucket list. There's a story in Luke chapter 12, I'm sure you're familiar with, with it, where a fellow, a rich man had a fertile farm and uh, it produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what can I do with all of this stuff? He said, oh, he had a bright idea. I know, I'll build bigger barns. And I'll stuff that stuff in a big barn and I will be able to say, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die, and so forth. And in that portion, the Lord says uh, to him, you fool. This is one translation puts it. I pretty simple. I figured you'd understand uh, this one. You fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. I like that statement. I think probably there could be maybe nothing more blessedness, blessed than to not have a bucket list. To be able to have in your heart and in your mind and in your life a sense of satisfaction. Groping speaks of that mentality of dissatisfaction. I've got to have more. There's a second word which kind of goes together with the first one and it's the word moping. Groping is a certain mentality of dissatisfaction Moping is defined in the sense of a feeling of dejection, apathetic uh, feelings, giving oneself to brooding, becoming listless, moving slowly or aimlessly, to delay, to have a sense of sadness and disappointment. When I think of groping, I think, as I've mentioned, of the film The Bucket List. When I think of moping, for some reason, I don't know why, I think of Eeyore. <laughs> you see, my education is uh, somewhat uh, less academic than many, but Eeyore, that dumb donkey in Winnie the Pooh, oh, I don't know. Talk about moping, a moping mentality. In my mind, I just think of this character where nothing is satisfactory. Uh, not simply dissatisfaction, but disappointment is characterized by this word moping. Some people just have an attitude of moping. They have the Eeyore syndrome. And the temperament that it brings, of course, is that temperament of sadness and gloominess characterized by Eeyore. In the Old Testament, Samson is a classic example of a person with the Eeyore syndrome. Everything he tried, you know, just didn't satisfy. And he became dismal and gloomy and downhearted 
and his temperament was uh, a thing to, that destroyed him. Well, let's go on to a third word, because I really want to get to, as I mentioned in the title of the message, I really want to get to the subject of thinking the way God wants us to think. He doesn't want us groping in dissatisfaction. He doesn't want us moping in disappointment. And he doesn't want us simply, and this is the third word, coping. Just getting by. Now, I've known a lot of believers who've adopted the temperament of groping. I've got to have more. I know a number who are spending their life in misery and moping like Eeyore. Woe is me, you know. Nobody loves me. But there are far more sometimes who I find are just coping. Just making it through. There was a bulletin one time I noticed at the top of the bulletin of a church. I used to visit a lot of churches uh, in traveling around the country. And there was one that had at the top of their bulletin, no rest till the rapture. Okay? Well, there's a certain truth to that. But if you carry it to the fullest degree, there are a lot of us pe old people. Now, I, I'm at that stage where I can include myself <laughs> in that. But it doesn't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to be old to have any one of these temperaments, but there are a lot of us old people who think if I can just make it through, if I can just cope with life and get through this miserable existence that we call life, then I can go to heaven and uh, enjoy the sweet by and by. Some of the synonyms for coping is, are uh, to manage, to survive, to subsist, to look after oneself, to keep the wolf from the door. Multitudes of God's people seem to be locked into a survival mentality. And I have found, I guess that's why I, I've been thinking about these words, co uh, 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 groping and moping and coping. I've been thinking about these words for quite some time because I know in my present circumstance that I need to have a temperament adjustment. I need to get my head screwed on better. I sometimes say to my wife or my daughter after they've come back from the chiropractor, did you get your head screwed on? Well, temperament is the way you think. And if you think that you've got to have more to make your life more meaningful, it's your thinking that's stinking. And the same with moping and the same with coping. Coping can be one of the most deceptive. I can just get through this message. You know, if I can just get through, the, <laughs> if I can just get through this day, if I can just get through this life, get it over with. I've oftentimes thought not that one of my biggest problems in life has not been failing to smell the roses. I don't even see them at times. 
And certainly that's not the way God intends for any of us to live. Groping is the mentality of striving for what we don't have, for more. Moping is sorrowing about what we do have. Coping is rooted in just surviving what might happen and what has happened. But there's a fourth mentality. And that's what I really want us to focus on. I want us to contrast it with groping and moping and coping. But I want this to be the major point. And that is that God wants us to have a mentality of hoping. Instead of groping, instead of moping, instead of coping, let's be people of hope. Let God give us hope. So I was thinking about this. Hope can be defined as a feeling of expectation, a desire for a particular thing to happen, or an expectation and a confidence about something that is to happen or has happened. Some of the concepts related to hope are to count or depend upon something, to rely upon uh, something, to envision something, to foresee, to contemplate something, to have that sense of expectation anticipation, hope. If you take too seriously the reports that have come, that come to us every day on the news and in the newspaper and through, what do they call it, a multimedia, which is everyone's sharing their groping, moping, coping <laughs> mentality. The tendency is to lose hope. 2019 is ahead of us, and who knows how many years ahead of us. For some of us, not many, but for others, quite a few. But God wants us to have a mentality of hope. Now, I want to share four major aspects of hope. What does hope really mean? Uh, the last few uh, weeks, we, uh, Pastor Paul has mentioned hope on a few occasions, and I thought at first he's going to steal my message, but for our purpose, even though uh, there are many variables and aspects of hope, I think there are four that we might consider. And hope is not just, biblical hope is is a concept that is not just a vague desire of something better to happen in the future. Hoping is not just a higher form of groping. Hoping is a present tense reality based upon at least four things and maybe more. Well, not maybe more and many more, but four major concepts. Hope, for instance, is first of all a certainty a confidence. That's what hope is. That's what brings it into the present tense. It's not just some vague thing out there, but it's something that I have now and that you have now and that we can have now in our life. Confidence. Certainty. One of my 
favorite chapters in the Bible is Romans 8. It's a marvelous chapter. And it's particularly addressed or addresses itself to this idea of the certainty of hope. The chapter begins, as you might remember, with this statement. For we know, uh, I'm sorry, it starts out with now. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. We studied this in a class last uh, summer, Sunday school class. We stopped here and we spent quite a bit of time just talking about the emphasis of verse 1 of Romans 8. And the and the tense of the original there and the combination of the words in the original makes it very, very firmly uh, emphatic in the sense of saying, on the basis of all that has been said in the first seven chapters of this book, now we know there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Certainty absolute certainty he says he goes on this chapter in verse 22 of of, uh, Romans 8 and says we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain until now we know this and then he goes on in verse 28 of that book and he says we know and again the tense in the original is absolutely final absolutely positive It's not a hope so, hope, but a no so, hope. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And he closes this marvelous chapter with, I am, what? Persuaded. That neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities and powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's hope. That is certain hope. That's the way God wants us to think. Not in a cavalier way, not in some kind of uh, 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 sweet syrupy kind of understanding, but the scripture says our hope in Jesus Christ is certain. It is established and we have complete confidence in Christ. Just That one statement, therefore there is therefore now, or therefore there is now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No doubt about it, he says. Those who are in Christ Jesus will not be condemned. And so that's the first concept of hope. That's the way God wants us to think with hope. The second concept of hope is the concept of courage and conviction. Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans has a lot to say 
about hope. And in Romans chapter 5, it starts out, therefore, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a fact that goes into that knowing concept. But he goes on to say, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's that word hope. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And then he makes this marvelous statement. And hope maketh not ashamed. What he's saying is that hope not only gives us confidence, but it gives us the courage to stand. The original word for ashamed in the King James is an extreme form based upon the root word of being overcome or put down or defeated and basically saying hope makes us undefeatable. It makes us unashamed. We kind of, that word ashamed, we kind of think is, of, of, you know, I'm ashamed of something and so I hold back. But really it's a word that means confident and uh, courageous. That's hope. That's the way God wants you to think this morning. That's the way God wants me to think this morning. That's the way he wants us to think this morning and as we go on into this new year that we have a confidence and we have courage through hope. There's a third aspect. I have to be conscious of the clock up there. Uh, they were thinking about putting a calendar up there but But instead, they put a clock. So we have to be aware of that. But the third aspect, you've got confidence, certainty. It's not, oh, I wonder. No, it's I know. And we have courage and conviction in the sense that hope makes us unconquerable. If that's a word, I guess it is. Hope also can be defined or found in the words comfort and contentment. The last verse of 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, where he talks about what happens or what is going to happen when Christ comes again in the air. We'll all be caught up to meet Christ in the air. And he says, we'll ever be with the Lord. And then he says these words, therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's hope. Hope brings us to that sense of contentment. Again, in Romans 8, verses 24 through 26, we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And then later on he says, 
His spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He says, comfort one another with hope. If you are a hoper instead of a groper or a moper or a coper, you have confidence, you have conviction, you have comfort, and finally, you have cheer or celebration. It talks in the scripture about rejoicing in hope. Isn't that an interesting expression? Rejoicing. If your temperament is hopeful, you will be celebrating the fact that there is no condemnation to those who are now in Christ Jesus. Your life will have a temperament of celebration. It will have a, a characteristic of, and temperament of, of comfort and of conviction and of certainty. You combine those, just those four things together into a personality, into your body, into, or your life and my life, our life as a church. If we become hopers in our temperament, the world will be beating down the doors to find out why. I was thinking about, I have, as I mentioned, I've been thinking about this a lot in a personal context. Because uh, the issue is this, I don't know if you realize it, but the issue is that I'm getting older. And uh, as you get older, you begin to think, what in the world? You, you ask that fatal question. What's it all about, Alfie? <laughs> you know? Why have I... I remember my wife asked her mother when she reached 80. And at the time... We thought that was a long time off. Now, now you youngins. <laughs> she asked her mother, well, Mom, now that you're 80, what, what have you got? What have you learned? And she simply, quick as a flash, said, oh, it went so by fast, you wonder what all those fuss was about. <laughs> but I've been thinking about this in regard to my own life. And I've had times when I have been uh, dominated by a temperament of groping. More, more, dissatisfaction. At times, my temperament was moping. You know, those terrible things that have happened to me and to my and recently, I've been dealing with the tendency and temperament to cope. I mean, when you have to use a walk or a push cart to get around, and you, 
have to be careful that when you get out of bed, you don't fall down. You begin to think, wow, if I can only get by. But the Lord has indicated to me on a number of occasions that the way he wants me to think is to be a man of hope. To fix my attention upon the certainty and the courage and the comfort and the cheer that there is in Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this in a lot of contexts and obviously a lot of more I'd like to say but the calendar has run out. But I was thinking about this. God wants each of us to live in a sense of expectation and hope. And understanding that because of Jesus Christ, as the scripture tells me, I have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ And everyone who is trusted in Jesus Christ has been clothed with those same garments. And somewhere on those garments of righteousness, there's a tag that said, created and cared for by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be people of hope. And as we move on in our life, and even into this new year, that we might be characterized by certainty and conviction and comfort and cheer because of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.